Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted November 18, 2016, we focus on the challenges facing Greenland and the larger Arctic, as explained on the World Policy website blog by Inutek Holm Olsen. He's the first native Greenlander posted at the Danish embassy in Washington to represent the unique interests of his island nation, largest in the world. We'll also point out top features in the WPJ Fall issue, cover theme, History's Ghosts. But first, some timely insights from Washington with Paul Brandis, who runs the West Wing Reports News Service. Well, as Washington transitions to a new president, so does the world. At least 29 global leaders have called President-elect Trump or Vice President-elect Pence to say hello, offer congratulations, and talk about the future. At least that's according to the Trump transition team. Those leaders, surprised as most were about Trump's election, are obviously trying to get get a sense of the man and what he really intends to do. Some of them, like Canada's Justin Trudeau, have expressed a willingness to discuss NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, that Trump claims has been bad for the U.S., and there have been rumblings in NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, about members paying more for their common defense. That, of course, was a major Trump campaign issue. As for the current president, Barack Obama, is visiting Europe and an Asia-Pacific economic summit this week, acting as an envoy of sorts for Trump, telling, perhaps trying to reassure uncertain global leaders that America's global commitments remain on solid ground. Whether those things are actually true, of course, remains to be seen. For World Policy On Air, I'm Paul Brandis at the White House. listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. Because um, we wanted to develop our own industries and take more political control of many different areas. And at that time, um, as members of the EU, Brussels has control over our uh, quotas and fishing waters. And we were not allowed to uh, fish our own waters as set, uh, basically told that we could you know, stand uh, uh, last in line. Inutek Holm Olsen is the first Greenland native posted at the Danish embassy in Washington to represent the interests of his autonomous island nation, largest in the world, to the United States and Canada. On Beijing CCTV earlier this year, as the arguments for and against Brexit captured the world's attention, he explained why Greenland left the European Union in 1982. And the same goals of greater political control and economic development led to his own unique diplomatic position in 2014. In several Arctic in Context conversations for the World Policy website blog earlier this year, Olson explained how Greenland is accelerating toward those goals by expanding global partnerships and developing its domestic economy in an era of increasing globalization and environmental consideration. And I spoke with him recently about it all for this podcast. Inutek Holm Olsen, welcome to World Policy on Air. Thank you, David. Uh, as the first Greenlandic representative in the Embassy of Denmark to the United States, your mandate is to help strengthen trade and economic relations between Greenland, the United States, and Canada. What steps are you taking to accomplish that? 
Well, I mean, it's a long-term step uh, as with everything else because basically I had to start this up from scratch. Not that, you know, relations didn't exist before, but having a representation here in D.C. um, has never, it had never been here before. So I've been working, you know, both uh, at the state level, you know, with uh, individuals and uh, interested parties and, you know, institutions and organizations and try to um, look at the possibilities in Greenland and, you know, I try to do a lot of uh, public diplomacy as well because uh, there's very little knowledge about Greenland here uh, in the U.S. as well as in Canada. So, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a process, but it has to be done. So that's what I'm doing. Talk about the path that led you here, personal influences, career choices, your experience. Well, um, actually, going way, way back, you know, to my youth, I, I was actually uh, one of few Greenlanders who were allowed to um, um, study here in the U.S. Um, and so, you know, I took my undergraduate degree as well as graduate degree here in the U.S. So I have a long history. Uh, I used to say that, you know, uh, besides Greenland, uh, the U.S. was the place where I lived the longest. Uh, so. Um, it's not, you know, if, if foreign to me um, to be in this country, uh, and um, but ever since I graduated, you know, I, I went back to to Greenland and started my career in um, in the civil service in, in in the government and dealing with foreign affairs, and I've been dealing with that ever since that. Both been posted. Um, I've been I've been at the foreign, Danish Foreign Ministry in Copenhagen, and as well as we have a representation in Brussels uh, since '92. So I've been posted there as well. And then I had a um, long career um, in Nuuk, you know, where um, the government is situated. Um, and and um, before I came here, I was uh, the Deputy Foreign Minister for Foreign Affairs. What schools did you go to in the United States? Uh, first, uh, w- um, I went to University of Alaska uh, Fairbanks uh, because the um, Greenland government had an agreement with the University of Alaska Fairbanks uh, at that time, and it was actually, you know, kind of a perfect choice because um, the university there is very focused on, you know, Arctic and developing also uh, contact with other Arctic countries. So, in a, and, uh, in a way, it was. Um, a good choice, I think, that they made, uh, and Alaska is a wonderful place as well. I love it there. So, and ever since I graduated from Alaska, I, I took a graduate degree in international affairs from the George Washington University. What's the most challenging part of your job right now? What's the most gratifying? Um, well, I mean, the, I think one of the challenging things is that, you know, Greenland has been um, part of the Kingdom of Denmark for, for so many years, and everything is very much uh, focused towards, or has been focused towards Europe for so many years. So it's, you know, trying to um, change that, you know, uh, perspective and to look at the possibilities as well here in North America, uh, I think is, is one of the challenges. Um, another thing is, you know, that as I said before, I mean, there's very little knowledge uh, about Greenland and it's uh, what Greenland is and where it's heading. And um, so, so I, I spend a lot of uh, time as well, you know, explaining uh, 
that to uh, different Amer American audiences as well as Canadian audiences um, to make clear that you know we have our own competences, we can make our own decisions in a large number of uh, fields, um, and we continually expanding you know our autonomy um, and and the economic perspectives are very important in that regard because those will ultimately you know decide um, um, the long term outcome and whether we, we will become independent or not aha independence so often in the future what are the most important drivers for improving greenland's uh, economic uh, and living conditions well, it is, I mean, one of the things, I mean, fishing is the most important industry, and it will be so for many years. I mean, around, I think, 90% of our exports uh, are from fish products. And we have to, you know, diversify our economy. And in diversifying, we are looking at, for example, um, tourism, which is a growing industry, as well as Greenland is... Um, endowed with a lot of minerals and we've been working on developing the mineral sector extracting minerals uh, for a number of years and now we slowly beginning to see the um, the fruition of uh, of that work um, as well as i mean energy i mean we are and we have a lot of um, potential water power also for industrial use and that's something we would like to develop as well. In the area of tourism, the luxury cruise ship, the Crystal Serenity, left Seward, Alaska on August 16th, uh, carrying approximately 1,000 passengers for a 32-day voyage through the Northwest Passage, uh, disembarking in New York on September 16th. The liner made three port calls in Greenland, uh, Ilulisat, uh, Nuuk, which you mentioned, the capital, and uh, Sisimuit, with populations of 4,500, 5,600, 17,000 respectively. What are the pros and cons of this type of mass tourism to those communities? Um, well, it, it's, I mean, Greenland has seen its share of um, uh, cruise ships, both smaller as well as larger, you know, coming to the shores of Greenland uh, for a number of years. So, in, I mean, in the, uh, but that's, you know, kind of more destination, you know, uh, uh, cruise, cruise ships as well as those who are stopping along, uh, along, you know, going on a kind of a North Atlantic tour. But you're right, I mean, the first um, large cruise ship that navigated through the Northwest Passage um, made three stops, and, I mean, one of them was is actually my hometown, Chisimut, um, where I grew up. Um, so, um, it, I mean, in a sense, I mean, I think Greenland will never become a mass tourism destination because, uh, first, I mean, we don't have the uh, necessary infrastructure, and, I mean, the population base is low um, in that sense. And um, uh, But we need, I mean, we would like to see more tourism, uh, that, that's for sure. I mean, and we're trying to expand as well the North American market in that sense. Um, because there is potential for growth. Um, but, I mean, the, if you look at other places, you know, around um, the North Atlantic or Europe, I mean, you, um, w who receive a lot of tourists, I mean, you are beginning to see some, you know, um, fatigue, I think you can say that, among uh, those uh, 
I mean, people like, you know, I just read an article about, you know, I think there's cities like Amsterdam and Barcelona who are trying to uh, uh, decrease the number of tours because people are so tired of them. Um, but, <laughs> but, but the Arctic is a new destination, you know. Uh, people look at it um, uh, because there's, you know, they've usually been around the world or a lot of places around the world and looking for a new uh, place that they haven't been to. And that's where a place like Greenland or the Arctic comes in. Talk more about Greenland's rich supply of natural resources, including minerals and hydrocarbons. What role will those resources play in Greenland's economic and political future? Well, in the short term, um, I mean, the mineral industry, uh, um, we are beginning to see, as I said, you know, the fruition of, of the labor uh, because there are a number of uh, mines that are uh, either opening up this year or next year or, you know, in an advanced state where they are ready to apply for an extraction license uh, because, I mean, the... Um, I mean, Greenland is endowed with a lot of minerals. I mean, the two largest known deposits of rare earth, you know, are situated in South Greenland. In terms of uh, hydrocarbon, that's uh, a little bit more, um, I mean, uncertain because there are certain, uh, you know, world market conditions um, that are important, especially the price when it comes to developing in, development in the Arctic. But we are, we have been developing that sector, and um, you know, licensing out uh, areas, and we are continuing with that strategy, um, and issuing out licenses in, um, in a number of, I mean, all around. Uh, green and both inshore as well as offshore. The inshore uh, licenses are, are new, but um, and um, but it will be interesting to see if there still is an uh, interest as there had been in the past. How does your plan to exploit hydrocarbon square with Greenland's realization that it will contribute to climate change worldwide, including warmer oceans that could have a major impact on Greenland's owned ice cap and fishing industry? Well, I mean, that's, um, I think it's a bit uh, hypocritical to say that, you know, uh, you know just because the Arctic is, is feeling the, um, I mean, the warming of uh, both the ocean as well as the atmosphere is that it shouldn't be allowed to develop its own industries. Um, I, mean, the, I mean, the Greenland ice sheet is melting as a reaction, you know, to mass industrial, you know, um, um, development as well as you know releases of, uh, emissions of um, CO2s, but I mean, but uh, people in I mean it's not just in Greenland but in the rest of the Arctic also have a right to development and economic prosperity. I mean, um, it, it's very much tied. I mean, to economic uh, to to the notion that. Improvement in living conditions, you know, I mean, the continued um, access to better health care, you know, to quality education, um, to jobs, you know, all those things that, you know, people take for granted um, in the South, you know, are also the reality in the North. So, and... Um, the Arctic hasn't been, well, I speak for Greenland especially, I mean, it hasn't been developed at all in that sense. 
Well, I, I read that Greenland is also uh, moving significantly into alternative energy sources for its own use. Talk a little bit about that and how you do see the larger Arctic region responding to climate change now and, uh, and what steps uh, Greenland would like uh, for everyone to be taking for their own sake uh, and for Greenland's. Absolutely. I mean, we're very environmentally conscious. I mean, it's not that, you know, we want to uh, pollute the environment at, at all costs because, um, I mean, we are living off the environment and that, I mean, we are dependent on a, on, on a clean environment. And we have been, you know, developing um, the hydropower uh, sector. Uh, in an, I mean, all the largest towns are now relying on uh, hydropower for electricity and around, I think it's around 70% of our electricity consumption, you know, comes from renewable energies. So, um, and we're still looking at, you know, expanding that um, because, um, you know, everybody can see that in the long term it makes sense and it pays itself, you know, to, uh, to rely on renewable energies. But and there's still actually potential to develop even more, especially for you know industrial use, where they can get their um, electricity demand uh, from clean energy. So I mean it's very much in our mind. But uh, I mean the only um, thing is that it's very expensive, and you know it's uh, we're not exactly you know swimming in in money uh, just like anybody else so you know it has to be i mean it's it's it takes time to develop those do you see a leadership role for greenland uh, in the arctic in uh, trying to deal with uh, both economy and uh, the environment well i mean yeah i think you know greenland is seen especially by many indigenous peoples uh, around the world as a model you know where you can have a large degree of autonomy and uh, develop yourselves both politically and economically um, in a sensible way, you know, in a peaceful way. So, um, I mean, we've been active, you know, in the UN scene for indigenous people's rights uh, for several decades now. So, and um, it's not that we want, I mean, you know, we want to say that everybody should copy uh, our model because that's impossible. But still, I mean, I was, I think it's a showcase that um, you can, you know, um, de develop as a, as a people and as a nation, you know, to uh, and um, deal with some of the challenges that the rest of the world is also dealing with. Inutech Home Olsen, thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Inutech Home Olsen is the first Greenland native posted to the Danish embassy in Washington to represent the interests of his autonomous island nation, largest in the world, to the United States and Canada. His previous discussions with Erica Dingman, director of World Policy Institute's Arctic in Context initiative, can be found at the World Policy website blog, dated March 30 and September 28, 2016. Olson also participated in the One Arctic Symposium in April 2016, hosted by the Polar Initiative at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, with key sponsors, including the Canadian Study Center, the Arctic and International Relations and International Policy Institute, and the University of Washington's Henry M. Jackson School of International Studies. 
Find the full list of sponsors with the One Arctic hyperlink at the WPJ blog post for this podcast, Episode 94, Challenges and Opportunities in the Arctic, November 18, 2016. Featured in the new WPJ Fall issue, History's Ghosts, you'll find articles on what lessons from history keep being forgotten, on silencing the echoes of Tiananmen, and on the decline of sovereignty in the Arab world by award-winning Beirut-based columnist and commentator Rami G. Khoury. And listen next week when our podcast will consider the social and political aspects of money through the ages and today. World Policy On Air is a production of World Policy Journal, at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, managing editor Yafa Frederick, podcast producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>